excited to be with you in the presence of the Lord here at Victory. We started a new series last Sunday, and uh, just real quick, probably took a little bit of time into the actual content of the message, trying to tell you how it works, and basically the instructions are in the front of your bulletin right there on that front page. I'm going to try to do a, basically one idea to build on what we did last week, and while we're doing that, would you please text in or tweet in your questions this whole series is an interactive series. It's about us laboring to practically make the Word of God an application in your life. We're, we're strong on the what, so we're trying to really bring down the so what. So what does this mean to me? Last week we talked about the finished work of Jesus Christ. And uh, we, we, we talked about a finished sacrifice, about a finished victory, about finished salvation. And we had some amazing questions came in. And, you know, the wonderful thing about this is that if you're texting especially, uh, there's, there's some anonymity to this. It's a brand new phone number, and, you know, we don't have the church people's phone numbers logged into this, so you, you can, you know, send in a question and with some real anonymity, and you can ask something that I think will be a real practical help to you. So this morning, we're building on what we talked about last week, the finished work of Christ. All of this began with our celebration at Easter, that Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. The Bible calls him the firstborn from among the dead in Colossians chapter 1. It, it calls him that same thing in the book of Revelation chapter 1 again. In Romans chapter 8 verse 29 it says, For whom he did foreknow, those he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now this time it's not firstborn among, from the dead, but it's firstborn among many brethren. And so there's this principle of Jesus rolling off this whole new species of, of mankind. He, he's, he is the God-man and he is the prototype. He is the first. Scripture calls him the pattern son. In the very same way that Moses went to the Mount of God and over and over you see in the book of Exodus, build the tabernacle according to the pattern that I gave you in the Mount. And that whole tabernacle itself is a revelation of Jesus Christ from the outer court in the, the brazen altar of sacrifice all the way through. So Jesus himself becomes a pattern for us, a one that we are to imitate, one that we are to emulate. We are to worship and adore him and fall down before him. At the same time, we are to do as he does. We're to practice how he lived. And uh, So out of this concept of the finished work of Christ, we, we, we talk about a fresh start. And this morning, my scripture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 17, and I'd like if you would just to stand with me for this one verse, very simple, and it's from the English Standard Version, if you would either read from your notes or from the, one of the screens as well. Let's say it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's bow our hearts together. Gracious God, we thank you this morning for the overwhelming privilege to be called the children of God. Uh, even as John, the beloved, said in his epistle in chapter 3 of 1 John, he said, oh, how wonderful it is that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called your children. God, we thank you for that today. It's not by our own works of righteousness, but it's just purely by your mercy that you've called us, you've chosen us, you've regenerated us by the Holy Spirit Lord, we thank you today that we, we stand in that place of this new creation. Teach us what all that means today, Holy Spirit. You're the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from you. You open the eyes and the ears of your people. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear and understand. We ask you for this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated together this morning. 
Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. I grew up quoting this in, in King Jimmy, and it goes like this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let me give that to you one more time because it's just the language is beautiful and there's something that I want to grab a hold of there. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold. Everybody say, behold. But behold in the Bible is one of those words that it just jumps out from behind the bush and grabs your attention and says, look, behold, all things are become new. That's a present perfect tense in the Greek, are become. What do you mean are, present, but become? It's just this kind of a strange configuration in Old English, and yet this is the the purest real translation from the Greek, are become. And so we, we, we translate it into some new uh, versions of Scripture in order to try to be able to breach that language barrier because there's so many things that we don't say the way uh, Elizabethan English was spoken three, four hundred years ago. By the way, this month, so awesome, 400 years ago, they presented to King James who had commissioned a group of scholars to bring to him a translation in the English language. The King James Version of the Bible is this month 400 years old. Oh, so put your hands together. It's still touching the world. Amen. Four centuries, four generations later. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so this morning, I want to ask the question, just really what is new in this new creation? Well, I mean, what does that mean? I, I, I said a prayer. Um, you know, I really did sense the presence of God. Um, th there were some things really that changed. And yet, at the same time, there are some things that I'm still struggling with. So really, what does this new creation mean? Uh, what, 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 what are we talking about when you say you get a fresh start? The, the message gives us... Uh, it says, now, he that is united to the Messiah. That's the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. The message says, he who is united to the Messiah gets a fresh start. Everybody say fresh start. And so that's, that's, why we, that's where we've picked up on that. Out of the scripture itself. New creation. Fresh start. You've, uh, what I want to talk about this morning are three things very quickly in, in about 20 minutes. And as things come to mind, text them in, tweet them in, whatever. And then we're going to have an open interactive session in the second part of the message time. First of all, I want to tell you that what is new primarily in the beginning, right out of the chute, is a new identity. Everybody say, a new identity. When, when we think of identification, you, you pull out your wallet and you have a, a, a state card. Most of us use our driver's license. Maybe it's some other kind of a picture ID. And, and that basically gives us this concept of who we are. It, it shows people that this is who we claim to be. It, it shows where I live. It uh, may have some some very, very simple, basic, pertinent details in terms of how tall I am and the color of my eyes, and there's a picture of me there, that, that, that when I use my debit card or I, I use a credit card or I write a check, that I, I pull out something that verifies. It authenticates. It says that I tell you I'm Michael Smith, 
My debit card says I'm Michael Smith. Now I have a picture ID that shows this is my identity. Okay, so it's really uh, uh, an establishment of who you are when we talk about our identity. And, and w- when we say that we are new in Christ, it's a whole new understanding of the person. It's not the same old dude with a second chance. It, it's, it's not like those little toys that you had when you were a kid that it had the black wax background and the little sort of a, a opaque kind of a plastic and you would take the little red pen that was supposed to clip into it and you would draw a little dude with, you know, a little beard and you would write your name and then you would pull up the plastic and it would just sort of erase it. But it was still the same kind of board, okay? So many times people view coming to Christ as sort of like God just sort of takes that opaque piece of plastic and he sort of pulls it up away from that wax background and sort of lays it down fresh and gives you another chance, But I want you to realize that when we say we are a new creation in Christ, it has nothing to do with being the same old dude with a second chance. It literally means that there is a whole new identity. It's it's just like you start out with this kind of a board that has the waxed impressions of all of the mistakes that you have made and everything that you've done in the past. But it's not like God gives you a second chance and pulls that up. It's like he brings in a whole new, not just a dry erase board, but let's put a, 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 let's put a smart board with a Mac connected to it. And where we're moving in a whole new kind of technology. We've moved out of something that is almost archaic. And we've moved into something where it's empowered and it's strengthened. And there's something that can be accomplished. And, and we can do something in a very powerful kind of way because we've got all of this availability, these power gifts that are now in us because we're a new person. We're not just the same old guy with a second chance. I've got to drive that into you this morning. You are not just the same person. And God's basically says, okay, here's a do-over. But you have on the inside of you now, there's something moving. There's a new spirit. There is a, there's a fresh perspective. There is a, 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 first of all, new identity. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me just tell you, basically, there are only two people on the planet. They're not all of these nationalities. They're not all of the ethnos, all of the races. They're not all of these various groups, languages, cultures. Basically, when you look at the Bible and you look down through the filter of God. God's got on a pair of glasses this morning and he's looking at the hearts of men and he sees only two kinds of people. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, in Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive. So there's really only two corporate men on the planet. You're a part of the Adam company in which death reigns or By the power of the Holy Spirit and the drawing of God the Father himself, you are born again from above. The Bible says in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 7, he says, except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so now I'm no longer in Adam identified with death, but now I have been born again and life is on the inside of me and I am in Christ. Now, how many men are in the planet? Now, ladies, don't take this as a gender issue. We're talking humankind. There are two people in the planet. There are two corporate groups of people. There there are those that are in Adam and death reigns. There are those that are now in Christ and life reigns. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. 
Kingdom of Satan, kingdom of God. Bondage, freedom. Poverty and ignorance and sin and death. Liberty and life and prosperity and the peace and the blessing and the power of God. Oh, this is so simple, but it's so powerful. Come on, somebody. I would ask you this morning, which company are you a part of? Are you in Adam where everything is dead and it's dying and decaying? Or are you in Christ where life has come because you have been born again? I'm telling you right now, being a new creation in Christ, this is the most powerful truth that will radically change your life if you can get a hold of every time the Bible says, in Christ. Because that's who you are. You are in Christ. You are covered over with him. He has now swallowed you up and you are part of this whole new company of life. So it's no longer death reigning, but it's life reigning. It's eternal life. Not one of these days in the sweet by and by, but eternal life, quality. Eternal is not long time. It's no time at all. I have eternal life right now. It's a quality, a kind of Greek word zoe, the quality, the life, the God kind of life. Secondly, not just a new identity. I'm no longer in Adam, but now I'm in Christ. I was born the first natural birth in Adam, but now I have been born again. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I have a new identity. Secondly, I have a new standing. Everybody say a new standing. New standing. It's, it's basically this concept of righteousness. Now, I don't have this on the board, but I'd like you just to write this down under the second thing where it says new standing. I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Corinthians 5, colon, 2, 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Greek word, literally, he was the sin bearer. He, he took upon himself. We're talking about Jesus Christ now, the one that we are in, we are in him, we are in Christ. (laughs) Hear this. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There it is right there. It's that phrase that appears all over the New Testament. In Christ, in him. Him is understood as being Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness is one of those words that you just use only at church. It's just not, uh, you you don't hear it in the court. You don't hear it at the water cooler at work. You don't, uh, unless people are Christians. And it's just really kind of a Christianese kind of word. And so we have to unpack this word. Uh, You know, we're going to go old school and we can talk about the righteous brothers and some of the songs they sang. But really, what does that mean? I mean, righteousness. What is righteousness? It's the very same Greek word as the word justified. We have been justified by grace through faith. Justified literally means that I have been acquitted. I've been declared not guilty. One has stood up and defended me. He is my advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. One of his titles. So when we start to talk about the fact now that he was made to be sin, he knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us, very sinful, So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's this amazing divine exchange. It's literally a kind of an accounting thing. His account of righteousness was debited with my sin. And my account of sinfulness was 
canceled out and wiped clean, and it was credited with the righteousness of God in Christ. And now I stand before God, and the accounts have been reconciled. And I got something in the bank. It's not because I earned it. I did not work and get something up in that bank account. But Jesus Christ, who actively obeyed the law of God and never disobeyed, he fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law of God. He passively obeyed in his death. He just gave himself so that when they took his life, and the Bible says he was smitten of God and afflicted, literally the wrath of God was poured out upon him. He passively obeyed in that moment, and everything was fulfilled. And in his obedience now, there's an exchange. There, 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 is, there is an exchange. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a divine exchange of all my junk for all his glory. Okay? Are you with me? So righteousness was imputed to my account. I am wearing this morning the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ. The word righteousness very simply means good standing. Everybody say right standing. Okay, now this is the, one of those unfortunate words that is just so, so Bible deep that we have to unpack it a little bit. And, and, and when we think about good standing, you think about the fact that you can go down here to, and talk to the bank president who is your friend. And if you have a good credit record... And he knows that you've paid your bills in the past. You're in good standing with SunTrust or with First Community or Regions Bank. You're in good standing. Okay? Now, let me just tell you this morning, every one of us are bankrupt in Adam. But let me tell you, in Christ, he has rescued us. And it's, the amazing race has been won and didn't just give us a million dollars. He basically says, hey, listen, all of this is mine and I'm giving it to you. In the grace and the mercy and the glory and the goodness of God. So now, because of who he is, I am in good standing with the Father. I am in right standing. I move from a whole new place of confidence because I don't have to try to sneak up on the backside of the throne of God, afraid that he's going to backhand me and smack me because I'm this awful, no good, you ain't no good worm of a child. That's who I used to be when I was in Adam. But now, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you hearing me? I have a new identity. I have a new standing. I have a father that welcomes me, that knows that I have growth. I, 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 I'm not perfect, but he sees me already as perfect. I, I haven't conquered everything in my life, but he sees that's already done. He's already paid for it. And you know what? He's going to walk with me through every day of my life. He's promised he would never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised that if I do miss it, all I have to do is confess my sin. All right, I'm at 19 minutes and 8 seconds. Any of you get anything out of this? Last thing real quickly. I have a new identity. I have a new standing. And finally, I have a new nature. I have a new nature on the inside of me. Second Peter, just listen. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness... Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now that just is so much bleh. 
that you go, what did he just say? If you understand what that scripture just tells you right there, you can't live like you used to live because you are born of royal blood. The king, his nature is on the inside of you. You are a son and a daughter of a king. Now, you, you, you have an enemy who has tried to keep you locked into a prison and has told you that all of your life that you're just a pauper and you're not, you know, if you really were the son of a king, you wouldn't do what you just did. Because he does the very same thing to you that he did to Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. If you're really the son of God, then speak to those stones. You're really hungry, aren't you, Jesus? Make, make yourself some bread. Come on, everybody loves some hot bread. Come on, Jesus. If you're really the son of God and he takes him to the high mountain apart, he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple and all of these same temptations in spirit and soul and body, he'll hit you in the place of your weakness. He was hitting his body first because he'd been fasting 40 days. Devil has no new tricks. 1 John 2 says the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Same thing that Adam and Eve fell with. That fruit looks good. It tastes good. It's, supposed to, it's going to open my eyes and give me some wisdom. And so all those same things. It was lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Jesus got hit with the same thing. What the first couple could not do in a perfect environment, in a garden, Jesus did in a wilderness, in a desert place. And he did it because he did it with the word of God. Now, this is how you battle. You have to take up the word and you have to begin to reorder your thinking to say, I'm no longer who I used to be in Adam, but now I'm in Christ. I have a new identity. And guess what? I just blew it. I missed it. I got mad. I threw something and I broke it. I don't know who I'm talking to in here this morning. This is just rolling out. Uh, you know what? I, I, I got angry. I cut somebody off and I flipped them the Hawaiian love bird signal. And, 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 and you know, how many of you know we try our best to keep it real here at Victory? Or I got upset and I said something that I shouldn't have said. And, and, and you know, guess what? I, I, all I have to do is, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not licensed to live like the devil or live like hell or any way you want to say it. Because there's something on the inside of me now, a new nature that's motivating me to do something different than I used to. God lives on the inside of me. Something down inside of me cannot die. Something down inside of me cannot fail. All right, all right. Keep texting and tweeting those questions. we got some good ones, Pastor Mike. Here we go. I think people sometimes associate forgiveness with no consequences. Can you explain that? We are forgiven of our sins when we confess them, but there are still consequences to the choices we made in sin. Example, someone that had a drug addiction will be forgiven if they ask, but they may still have physical problems from that addiction after receiving forgiveness from it. Well, I think that just answered the question. Thanks for that Q and A in the same tweet. All right? It was awesome. You know, uh, every time, every action, this is the physics principle, every action has an equal and opposite reaction in the universe. You plant a seed and you're going to reap in kind you don't plant taters and get maters, okay? It's called the law of seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, okay? Every seed produces after its kind. If you sow to the works of the flesh, you're going to reap according to the flesh. Now, you can get forgiveness for an act of sinfulness, and you're in right standing with God. Now, can I, can I is it okay if I make this real plain? Please. Let's, let's, just, let's just talk about a human biological concept here. You, you sin against a brother or sister. You're, a husband, you're married to a wife, and the brother goes and has sexual relations just with another person, another girl. 
and she has a baby. A seed's been planted, and here comes the fruit of it. Now, as a brother, you can work through all of the hell you're going to pay with your wife. Now, I told you we talk plain around here. You can get it straight with God in right standing, and you can get another opportunity, but there are consequences to that sin. I can fly down the road. Let me tell you something. I just, I, I was born to be wild. I can, dr- I can drive fast. Sooner or later, the highway pastor is going to meet up with me and he's going to write me a little tithe envelope for me to give the state some money. Keep it real. My record's clean right now. And that's just purely the grace of God. <laughs> Is that clear? There's a consequence. You, you sin, you can get it right with Jesus. But there's, yeah, there's always a physical consequence. I, I can kill somebody and God will forgive me, but I'm going to pay my penalty to the state. I'm going to go to jail. And righteously, if I premeditated that, they ought to take my life. I know it's quiet in here. But there's still a penalty. There's, I might get it right with God in eternity, but there's still something that I owe to my brother and my sister. If I defraud you, if I hurt you, there's still a penalty. And if I can just add a question to this, there's a difference in forgiveness and trust. I can extend forgiveness to somebody, but it's going to take a while to rebuild the trust that you destroyed when you did me wrong. Okay? Are you That's hearing good. me? That's good. See, we've got so much of this fuzzy Christian thinking, oh, you've got to forgive them. And you just, in other words, let them. A lot of times people think, well, you just got to let them right back in again. Oh, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm going to keep my eyeball on you. <laughs> now, I'm an idiot if I don't. Are you hearing me? You do me wrong, and I forgive you, and then I ex- maybe extend a little carte blanche in the spirit, a little bit of forgiveness, and you do it again. If, I'm, I'm a fool. Now, God commands me to love everybody. The only person he commands me in the word anywhere to trust is himself. I'm commanded to trust God. If I trust Linda, it's because she has earned my trust, which means she can lose my trust. I can lose my trust with her, with my wife, with my brother. Now, he can forgive me, but I guarantee you if I hurt him deeply, it's going to take a while to rebuild what I can destroy in one moment. There's a difference in love and trust. I love everybody in this room, but some of you, I don't trust you as far as I can pick you up and throw you. Now, some of you laughed and some of you didn't like that, but that's just honest to God truth. People are people. I love everybody. God commands me to love everybody, but if I trust you, it's because you have shown that you can be trusted. Let me add on just a little bit to that. I would say, just in a short thing, the consequence of sin is your joy. I mean, that's what, you, that's what you have to give up. Is, you know, you don't lose your identity in Jesus Christ, but you're going to give up the joy part of it when you walk away from God. So just remember that. Um, still lots of great, great questions coming in. Uh, check this one out. If we can keep confessing our sins, is that not an excuse, Pastor Mike, to keep sinning and justify it because we know all we have to do is confess our sins? Well, you know, sooner or later, that tire just digs that rut so much deeper until the car quits moving. And you, you've stopped. You're immobile. You, that's when you back up and you go, okay, this is not just a, myth, a mistake for a time or two. But this is a pattern. There's an addictive behavior here. This is when you need to get off your face and telling Jesus about it. And you need to get vulnerable enough that you go get another brother. And you practice James 5. And it says, confess your faults one to another. 
Because I'm going to tell you something. As long as it's just me and Jesus, I can just keep on doing it. I can get up tomorrow and I can start a fresh day. Mercies are new every morning. Steadfast love. Great is your faithfulness. I start a new fresh day. I got forgiven yesterday. And if I go out and I'm, I'm hooked in that same pattern again, I want to tell you, Jesus didn't die for you just to, just to dig a rut in the road of life and just spin your tires. He died and was raised for you so that you can really, honest to goodness, get delivered from whatever the sin pattern is that's holding you. And everybody in this room has got some kind of a struggle. That's the difference in victory in a lot of churches is that the pastor will get up here and say, look, ain't nobody finished yet. Nobody's perfect. Do not put me on a platform. I will kick the bottom of it out from under me because I struggle with stuff just like everybody else in this room, and we got to keep it real because the only one that I can point to you and tell you is perfect is Jesus. Come on, somebody. Now, again, that's not an excuse to go live in gross sin. That... that if you keep doing something, then you need, you know, if you keep doing it and it's making you miserable, and there are people in this room right now, listen, I have mercy, I have grace for you, there is no judgment, but the best thing you can do if you are struggling with a sexual addiction or alcohol or drugs or any kind of thing like that is get up out of this habit of just every time and confessing to Jesus and you go get somebody that you love enough and trust enough that you know that, let me tell you something, a friend is somebody who knows everything about you and is still your friend anyway. Now, I don't, I don't want to offend you, but let me tell you, every, I love everybody, and we're all friends in this room. To be real honest, we're acquaintances. I've got about three or four or five friends in this room who really, really know me, and they know me well enough to look me in the face, and they know me and know the struggles that I have, and they love me anyway. That's a friend. Everybody's not your friend. You need to have a couple of people in your life that you are vulnerable with and you're accountable to because when it stops just being just by yourself, Jesus, forgive me, and it's already been something you're wrestling with for years now, and you, you sit down with a brother or sister and you go to the closet and you turn the light on and you drag all that crap out into the light, guess what? It stinks. And you know what? If you've got somebody that loves you enough, it's going to apply mercy and grace to you and give you real gospel-centered understanding and tell you the Bible is big enough, God is big enough, He loves you anyway, and He will help you totally get delivered and set free from that. When you quit just doing it by yourself, and you don't need a priest, every one of your priests of the Lord in here. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and he is, we, we tell it to him. But the Bible didn't stop there. It didn't just say confess it to the Father. He said confess your sins one to another. And if you've got a brother that you can look at that will trust you and you know they won't go tell everybody. It's like, it's like the three guys are sitting out on the lake and one guy, they, they decide, they have a little accountability group and one guy says, well, you know something, I have this thing for the ladies. And the other guy said, well, I'll just tell you, I, I, I really struggle with alcohol. Another guy says, well, I just want you guys to know that I struggle with gossip. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's not who you want to tell your stuff to. <laughs> Mike, yeah. could, I, could I just add a question? Jump in, baby. That, that person that's struck, stuck in that cycle of sinning and, and forgiveness, would you, would you say that almost they don't understand the grace of God? Oh, absolutely. God is bigger than, if I've got a chance, let me see. Um, give me just a second here. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And that whole chapter really begins to unfold this concept of the difference between the new man in Christ 
and the old man, Adam. That's why it's important when you make a commitment to Christ, it's not just a ritual to go through for us to roll this lovely new baptismal tank out here and to get you wet. We are burying the old man. It's a celebration. We're holding a funeral service for who you used to be. It's a celebration now, and when you come up out of that water, you're identifying with Christ who came up out of the grave. And because of that, you are saying, this is my new identity card in heaven. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go ahead. All right, here's a real practical one. I know, you know a lot of us struggle with certain things uh, in the flesh. How do you deal with trying to stop smoking uh, when you've tried and tried and prayed, also when you let your... Uh, tongue slip with ugly words. Are you less of a Christian? Uh, you know what? I, your, your witness may be hindered, but no, you're not any less of a son or a daughter of God uh, any more than when your kid gets upset with you and says something he or she shouldn't say and you want to wash their mouth out, but they don't cease to be your daughter or your son. Okay? Um, I, I, let me just say this. I don't know who this is, and I've, I have mercy for you. I don't know. I have never, I've never been addicted to nicotine. I, my addiction is food, you know, and I'm, I'm up and down. I mean, like, I, I just, like, I have, I have three sizes of clothes, and right now I'm, I'm, I'm dwelling in the, the heavy size. Hallelujah. <laughs> Give me a few months, and I'll be down again. And that's just, you know, it's, it's my life. I struggle. I just be, I'll just confess it before you. I, I love food. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Everything was a sin except food, and we all got to be 100 pounds overweight. That's just part of it, you know. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's the truth. Uh, I, I, I have mercy for you. Whatever the struggle is that you're facing, I, I, I would say, you know, there are a lot of opportunities to, to try some things medically. Let me just tell you this. I also believe that God can just actually move on you and bring real deliverance from that in prayer. Uh, as totally radical as that sounds, I have prayed for people, and God has just, boom, it just left I didn't do it. The Holy Spirit of God did that. Uh, why is it that he does that in some circumstances and some other times? You know, why doesn't he just slap me down to a 32-inch waist? I, I don't know. Uh, well, God ain't fair. It just, it just doesn't work that way. It's, I'm, you know, it's, it's just this, if I could just get rid of this action right here. Uh, and I'm making fun of it, but I'm just trying to be real. Hey, Mike, I, I, think of, I think of what Paul wrote about the thorn of the flesh, you know, uh, he just kept asking and praying, God, what is this thing? You know, take it from me, this messenger of Satan. And, and what, did, what did Jesus end up saying? A grace. Every time, my a grace. grace is sufficient. Three so that times. Thing, that thing that you might be struggling with, it might be food or cigarettes or, or a number of many different things of the flesh that may bring you back to a place to receive the grace of God, right? Yeah. Just keep you on your knees. In that brokenness, yeah. that's where we can really find the divine power mm -hmm. of the Almighty. And it, you know what? It's just getting real. And it's quit playing the games and just call it like it is. That's the first step to breaking a bondage is breaking denial. That's right. It's calling it what it is, no matter what it is. Okay, check this one out now. What do I do about a person that is certain that he is going to hell? Uh, you're just going to have to pray mm -hmm. and pray for God to break down that hardness. Um, they're certain for a reason. They are pretty confident that they know that there's this universal principle of the law of sowing and reaping. And, uh, you know, somebody says, well, how is it that uh, a loving God could send anybody to hell? And I just want to turn that question back around and go, how can a holy God send any of us to heaven? Yeah, just I deserve hell. I deserve. 
Yeah. Oh my goodness, you're a preacher. I deserve hell. So do I. Uh, if it weren't for the grace of God and the Jesus who took my place, I, I have no, what's, no ability whatsoever to stand before God in any kind of pride and say, look how good I am. Let me in. Let me up in that place. Just laugh his head off at me. You're crazy. It's by the grace of God. I would just pray. If this is a family member, uh, I, would, I would really consider maybe fasting a meal or two and just yeah. praying for the Spirit of God to break that. That's good. God's stronger than any of that. That's good. Come on. He lassoed some of you sorry folks in this room and brought you in. Come on. Me. Every one of us. Bunch of no good low down, born in Adam, just, just came out lying and cussing. How many of you know Jesus can straighten all that out? Mike, uh, if I could just interject a little personal story with me. Um, I feel for this question. I mean, it, it tugs at my heart. My, my best friend in the world, in the world, is an atheist. Amen. It may freak you out or surprise you. I think that's awesome. But uh, I think I think it's so I, cool I, I to have pray. Christians that have pe- friends that don't know God. That's right. I pray for this guy, and I don't. I doubt he's listening on the podcast because he doesn't believe in God. But uh, you know, he might be some by some wild imagination. But uh, you know, I pray for him all the time, and and I try to show him the love of God. I try to show him the love of God because he don't believe in God. So I try to show it to him through me. I call him. I tell him I love him. And sometimes I call him, I say, you know, man, I've been praying for your salvation, that Jesus, that you are going to accept Jesus Christ. I believe it. And I tell him, he goes, and you know what he said? He started to soften up, you know, we're 40 years old or whatever, he's 41. And he started to say, you know what, I appreciate that. So, you know, you just, you can't give up, man. You just keep on praying and you keep on loving people and showing the love of God. And you know, you never know it. God's outside of time. Things that you can't imagine he can do are, are possible with him, right? So, I mean, can I just say that we have the cards stacked against us because we've got so many crazies out here, just like we all want to crucify the radical fundamentalist Islamicist. We got some crazy Christians who show up at funerals and with signs that say, God hates fags. And all of this stupid stuff. How in the world do you think you're going to be able to reach anybody with the love of God? And we're not going soft on any kind of sin. We're not, we're not diminishing the holiness of God. But we've got so much junk that we have to swim through just to try to show people some kindness and some courtesy and the love of Christ. Because there's so many of these just total weirdos out there that are just up in folks' faces trying to beat salvation into them with the Bible. And I just want to just tell everybody, we serve a God at this point because of what he did to Jesus. He's not angry. Our God is not sitting on the throne just boiling over and seething. He is looking at the planet and his heart is broken. And if we can, out of brokenness instead of out of anger... Just reach out and share a little bit of love to that person who's convinced he's going to hell and not preach at him all the time. You know, what was it, the Assisi quote, St. Francis, everywhere you go, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. words. My goodness, how that would bless the church today if we could do that. Because we're long on the words and sometimes we're short on the action. Let's live it before and we'll earn the right to say it. Time for one more question. I'm going to read this one since you touched on this about us uh, calling out... uh, Fags. I have a lot of friends who are either gay or bisexual. One of them believes they aren't going to heaven because they like the same sex as them. I try to tell them every day that God forgives them, but they don't believe me. Does God 
forgive you? You want to answer this one? <laughs> I'm not afraid of it. No, no, no. I, 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 let me take a shot. Okay, go ahead. All right. We, you know, for, for reference, we did a whole series a couple months ago called The Naked Truth About Sex, and we dealt with a lot of these issues. But, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of times I'll get the question, you know, well, I, I like someone that's the same sex. You know, and you hear the, the natural response of God made me that way, right? You know, th th this is my preference. Well, can I say something? God made me to want to have multiple sexual partners. <laughs> I mean, and I lived a life up until I got married and made a commitment before God to, to purity with my wife and the covenant of marriage. Before that, I made a lot of mistakes sexually, right? And I didn't honor God with my body. I didn't always put him first. But all sins are born out of some putting something in the place of God, which we know in the Bible is idolatry, putting something in our heart. We can't trust our hearts. We can't trust what we naturally want to do. Mike said earlier, you know, the kid, he comes out of the womb telling lies and slapping his brother and sister and stealing toys, right? So we're all sinners by nature. So we can't trust our heart to say, hey, this is what I want. This is what defines me. And Jesus Christ were defined. And by then, we are forgiven of all of our sins. I mean, all the sexual sins I committed before I got married are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And the ones that I've committed in the future are forgiven in Jesus Christ. We're all going to have natural proclivities that aren't godly. We're natural born sinners. So God does forgive a homosexual tendency. Yes, he does. He does forgive it, Mike. Uh, I think the question could probably be real. Let's just kind of hone it down. Can you be gay and be a Christian? Absolutely. I know some of you are going, are you kidding me? Uh, and I'll just turn it around. Can you be gay and be a, a, home, a heterosexual adulterer? Yep. Uh, no. Can you be a Christian? Yep. I told you we were, we, were, we were treading in some deep water here. Can you be a Christian and be a heterosexual adulterer? Yeah, there are Christian men in this room that are struggling right now. That you've, right. you've already broken the vow with your wife. Did you, did you cease to be a child of God? You, you, may, uh, you may have you know, some hell to pay. You can get some forgiveness. And let me just say this. I don't think we know all that we think we know about this issue yet. I, I, I don't. The last thing I want to do is to create an environment where we can't receive anybody that walks in that door. That's right. And, and tell them, look, you know what? We're on this thing in this journey together. I have to go back to the Word and say, what does the Word say? Um, I, I think it's totally wrong that the evangelical church beats the fire out of the homosexual. And they've got people on the deacon board sitting there that are messing around on their wives. You can say amen whether you want to or not. It's the truth. I, I just think we've made this a whipping post in our nation. Uh, I, I, I want... Regardless if it's the prostitute, if it's the adulterer, and all of these are listed right there together in those lists. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such were some of you. Idolaters, thieves, swindlers, gossips. Hey, that's in the list with all these that you want to beat everybody else up on. That's right. Now, now let's just get real up in the place this morning, okay? Okay? Okay. Uh, it talks about the homosexual offender. It talks about the adulterer. It says these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yep. And the, real, the, the bottom line comes down to 
is, can you lose your salvation? God can save anybody, no matter in what they're in, any kind of pattern, any kind of lifestyle. And I, I don't think that we can use, I was born that way, and I just want to say, and it's as trite as it is, well, we were all born in sin. We all need to be born again. That's right. And, and at the same time, I don't understand the, the ins and outs of same-sex attraction, and I think that we need to try to be a little more embracing of That's some right. brothers and some sisters that are struggling with some very real things that from the earliest time in their life, they had this. Uh, and I, I believe that Jesus Christ can deliver any of us from any kind Amen. of sin Amen. that we have. He's big enough. That's right. Now, the issue comes down to it. You know, um, it, it, it comes down to a, to a black and white question and an answer here. Is, is if any of these things can make me lose my salvation. And I answered this in the last service, and I want to take the time to do it now. We don't understand the Hebrew mindset in the difference between birthright and inheritance. A, a child that's born into a Hebrew family automatically has a place in the home because he is born into the Jesse ben David, or David ben Jesse. David's the son of Jesse, and there are seven other brothers, and they're all sons of Jesse. And... They all have a birthright. You never lose that. You don't lose the birthright. I, I'm Grady Smith's son. My dad was mad at me uh, one or two times in my life that he probably could have knocked my teeth out, but he restrained himself because I was a smart mouth teenager. And he showed some restraint, thank God. We never did come to blows. We, we were close one day in an argument, and we, we just stopped. But you know what? Even in that, that stupidity of my rebellion, he never did stop being my father. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Now, you can not lose your birthright, but you can totally lose your inheritance. There's a difference between the two. And to answer this, okay, we're right at about two minutes till 12. Will you give me two minutes to answer this question, and then we'll wrap, wrap this service up. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? All right, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as I open this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, King James says wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, for the day, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, which, which by the way, you're seeing signs around town that's going to be May 21st. Just want you to know I'll be preaching on May 22nd right here at Victory, okay? Um, and let me just say this. I'm not making fun of. That's stupid. No man knows the day or the hour. And why do these idiots keep predicting this stupid date setting? You can say, man, I know I'm, I'm telling the truth. Uh, uh, it just becomes one more black eye on the body of Christ because it becomes one more in a line of hundreds of predictions of the rapture and then, then people, the world looks at us going, look at them, they're all a bunch of idiots. Are you hearing me this morning? There is a day. We will all be called into the cosmic principles office someday to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You better be ready. You need to be ready before you leave this room. Now, uh, you need to be ready every day of your life. Be ready to meet him because we will all stand in judgment before God. This is what it says. No one, if anyone builds on the foundation, he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. 
And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Everybody say inheritance. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Everybody say birthright. Okay, now it means you may stand before the judgment seat of God, out comes the fire because his word speaks as a fire and all of your works in your whole life are burned up, but you're standing there saved. You're going to heaven, but you're just not going to have any rewards. If you think when everybody gets there, everybody gets the same 40 room mansion on the same golden street, which I don't even believe in that whole idea anyway. What's the purpose of everybody having a 40 room house? There are no bedrooms because there's no night. We don't sleep. Who's going to clean up all those rooms? And why do I have one and my wife has one and my kid has one and my other kid has a 40-room mansion? That's just a lot of southern gospel music that's given us these ridiculous ideas about heaven that's so much grander than that. I've probably made some people mad. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, this is the issue. I can go out of here today and I can make some choices to do some things that will make me lose my job and lose my credibility with you and I will no longer be considered a spiritual leader in this community when everybody finds out what I've done, sinning against my wife, sinning against this congregation, sinning against the Lord. I could do that and I'll still be on the other side of that, a son of God. I'll be a son under discipline. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But I will lose every bit of my inheritance in the sense of having any kind of of influence on this side and I will lose what I could have had in terms of rewards on that side. But I didn't lose my salvation. I am his child. He is my father. If, 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 if a sin or two can make you lose it, then where, where's that line? Where do you draw that line? How many is it? I grew up a Pentecostal and I'd go to bed every night with fear, thinking, okay, did I do something today that I didn't confess? Because if Jesus comes tonight, I'm blowing a new hole in hell. And I began to read the word and I started to see that the same God who saved me by his grace, not by my works, would also keep me by his power and by his grace. That nothing, no one can be pulled out of his hand. And even when I was in a period in my life in rebellion, when I was basically hating God because of all of the total inconsistency and the sinfulness that I saw in ministry, preachers, I had, a, I had an extreme gift of music. I started playing in church when I was 10. By the time I was 14, I was traveling up and down the south and the eastern seaboard with a couple of different evangelists. And dude's taking up offerings to go to Africa and bought himself a new Eldorado Cadillac, taking up more offerings, and he buys himself a new Continental. And he buys a bigger house. He's got a beautiful wife. And I found out that he's living in some pretty gross sexual sin. And I got sick of it because I wanted to be just like this guy. And then I see the covers pulled off, and he's just an idiot. And I got mad at God going, God, why did you let this happen in my life? And I put my Bible on the shelf, and I quit going to church. I was 16 years old, and I was sick of religion and church and the ministry and anybody who wanted to preach to me about about the God who required holiness when every leader that I'd met to that point was an idiot. I put my Bible on the shelf. I went out and hung out with high school buddies, and I smoked some dope. Yeah, I just said that. I'm just getting real and plain with you. My mama hates it when I talk this plain. But I'm trying to tell you that God can get you even when you're out living like an idiot. I got drunk. 
I'd spend the night at a buddy's house because I knew if I walked in, my mama, who was probably up anyway, praying, God, keep that idiot's hide safe in Jesus' name. She's praying for me, keeping me safe in the middle of that. Thank God for my life. This is Mother's Day. This is how I'm honoring you, Mom. Thank God you didn't quit praying for me and you never called me. She never stopped calling me her son, even though I wasn't acting like a good one. And she prayed for me and she stood for me and just praying, God, restore him. God, you know what? I come home every night and I'd lay in my bed and I'm going, God, this is so stupid. I'm laying up and I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm praying, God, I, I'm an idiot. I don't even have fun trying to get drunk. <laughs> and when I smoked the dope, it just made me hungry and I didn't need that. The only difference in me and a former president is that I will actually tell you that I did inhale. <laughs> and I'm in high school, and I'm in good shape. I'm about 175, 180 pounds, and I'm thinking, I don't need anything that's going to make me want more food. <laughs> and I just finally got sick of it. I went all summer long, and I got down on my knees in my bedroom at the corner of 300 South Center where my little mama still lives, and I knelt at the corner of my bed, and I said, God, if I know you're real. I'm not going to say if you're real, but I said, God... I know you're real, and, and I don't think I could hear you if you did speak to me, and I did what I tell people don't do. I played Bible roulette. I said, God, and I'm holding my Bible up like this, and I said, God, you're just going to have to let this thing fall open to me and tell me, and I'm just hoping it doesn't say, you know, Judas hung himself, go thou and do likewise, you know. <laughs> I know I'm over, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> and it falls open, and it says way, way, way over in the New Testament, my Bible falls over like this, and I look. I don't care whether you believe me or not. Those black letters on that white page of that old Thompson chain, King James Bible, enlarged on the page, and it said, being confident of this very thing, <laughs> that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I wept in that front bedroom, and I came back to never losing my birthright, but I came back with a fresh opportunity to have a great inheritance. I made a fresh start in Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you in this room this morning is that if you are a believer and you're struggling with something right now, that if anybody else in the room found out you think they would just stone you, let me tell you, you're not alone. God is big enough. Yeah. He's strong enough. And he looks at you and he sees you as his son and his daughter. And God, forgive us as your brothers and sisters when we stand in judgment and we want to pick up, we are rock collectors. God, throw your rocks down, people. Yeah. Is there anybody in the room who is without sin who can pick up a rock and stone anybody else in this room? Yeah. Quit your rock collecting. Let's embrace our brothers and sisters that don't have it all fixed yet and that are still in process. Some we don't understand. And know this with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never had that moment where you know that he started the work in you, you can have that right now. You can start that today. Because God is reaching into the lives of some people in this room and you have actually had hell beat out of you by religion in the past. But I'm telling you here, I'm not promoting religion. I'm promoting a relationship with Jesus Christ and Him alone. He 
can change your life. He will heal your brokenness in whatever area. It's very simple. You're either in one camp or the other. You're in, you're in Adam where everything is dying or you're in Christ where everything is being made new and it's coming alive. John 3.36 He that has the Son has life. He that believes not on the Son and obeys not the Son has not life, but the wrath of God abides on him already. Which one of those two companies of people are you part of? Are you part of the Adamic company? Or are you a part of the Christ company? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe that the Spirit of God is reaching into the hearts of some people this morning to tell you that you're not too far gone, that God can forgive you no matter what you think is unforgivable. Have you crossed that line of faith in your personal life? If you'd like to be included in this prayer right now as we bring this service to a close, if you would just slip your hand up, nobody looking around, I promise you I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. Several hands around the room. Yes, I see those. Wonderful. Anybody else? Anybody else this morning? Thank you. That's awesome. God is holding you in the palm of his hand right now. It's as if it's just him and you. Now to the believers in this room this morning, in our attempt to try to pull away all of the religious covering and to just show you the reality of a holy God who intensely loves you so much, you've heard some new things today about a whole new identity in Christ, about a new standing. You, you, you got good credit in the bank of heaven. Didn't know that. You got a new nature on the inside of you. And I just ask you today, is there anybody in here, you already, you already know Jesus, but you just feel like there's been something that's, that's, that's been holding you back and you need a fresh start. You need to get with a brother or sister and you need to not just confess to Christ, but confess to a brother or sister. Maybe the other, others of you, it's not about a sin issue, but it's just about a sense of inferiority that the enemy's had on your whole life. And just you've heard today that you're a king's kid. You're a son and a daughter of the king. And you want to live out of that newness today, that fresh start. If any of that that I just said applies to any of the believers in the room, nobody looking around, every head still bowed, every eye still closed, would you just slip up your hand? You want a fresh start today in Jesus? Yes, all over the room. Yes. Father, thank you today for the amazing privilege. Thank you, God. You overwhelm me that all the while that you've called me to preach the gospel of transformation, you are still transforming me. And that blows my mind. Thank you that you're doing a work inside every man and woman in this room. You're drawing people by your spirit. You are speaking and calling their names and you're calling your own sheep by name and you're calling them out. And thank you for these who've crossed the line of faith today and said, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life and to come into my heart. Thank you for those, Lord. I pray right now that as they ask you and say, Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my heart. Change me. Lord, that you do a work of the Spirit that no man can do. And Lord, for my fellow brothers and sisters that are still in the struggle, on the journey, Lord, really trying to find out what it means that everything's been made new, still in the middle of a mess. God, thank you that you began a good work and you don't have any unfinished projects in your heavenly garage laying around. You're still doing a work on us. Lord, be with my brother or sister that's struggling with cigarettes. 
who are so honest, thank you that they asked that question. With my brother or sister in this room this morning that's struggling with alcohol or with drugs or with sex, dishonesty in any kind of a way, Lord, help us to drag this into the light before you and that you set us free. You've, you've died so that we can have true freedom in Christ, that we can get a fresh start in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,